are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors just like you about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. When COVID-19 hit, so did the way that so many of us conduct business. While some advisors began sending emails, others found more proactive ways to creatively help their clients on both a financial and a personal basis. Well, now that the markets have regained much of their earlier losses, how should advisors be thinking about client engagement? In an earlier episode, David and I spoke about clients wanting to hear their advisor's voice rather than receiving another email. Is that really true? Or were email updates all that clients really wanted after all? And how should advisors be thinking about structuring their next client review meeting? Here to talk about that and provide his thoughts is Adam Boyer. Adam Boyer is head of business development for Emotomy. In his role, Adam is responsible for defining and executing the sales strategy to accelerate adoption and utilization of Emotomy by financial institutions. With over two decades of financial services industry experience, Adam has held a number of leadership roles, including his most recent roles at Charles Schwab as head of sales for compliance solutions and chief of staff to the head of bank operations and technology. Adam also spent many years at Bank of America, where he helped build out the bank's Chicago footprint. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Laura. Of course, I'm an avid, flexible advisor podcast listener and happy to be here today. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. Adam, when we were preparing for this podcast, I mentioned hearing a few weeks into the pandemic about advisors who at that point still hadn't called their clients. And many of them were bragging, actually, that their clients were so well-trained that they knew better than to call just because the market was down. Uh, I was so shocked, and I've I've talked about this a number of times throughout the podcast episodes, but I reached out to consultants in the industry to learn what they were hearing, and I actually wrote a paper titled, Clients Don't Want Another Email, They Want to Hear Your Voice. I'm wondering now, with the market's return, if I was just making too big of a deal out of that. You know, I don't think you were making uh, too big of a deal out of, uh, out of it at all. I actually think you were spot on in, in that perspective. What's not sitting initially well with me is the, this concept of, of well-trained. In and of itself, it has a, a sort of a negative connotation and, and very different from an advisor saying to you or anybody else that their investors are well-informed or well-prepared or well-allocated right, to generally deal with, with the market environment. And there's fairly consistent survey evidence that shows that clients want communication of all shapes, sizes, and forms, but not only from sort of the mass sort of market or mass marketing perspective, but about them individually and about their own situation and circumstances. And the sad part really is that just most aren't getting it today. And I think it's somewhat of a dangerous perspective for an advisor to take in the sense that because they're not hearing from their investors or their their clients, that those clients thereby are okay and doing fine through the, through the market environment. You know, I'm, I'm standing in my bedroom, I'm looking out at, at my garden and spring is sprung in Chicago. And, you know, there's a lot of time spent in the garden and my wife is out 
sort of tending to the roses most every day. I'm not the gardener in the family by any means. And I think if I was doing that, they would not be doing nearly as well as they are right now. The, the, the roses are doing well because we, you know, she recognizes that there's a different level of care required for the roses relative to say the big tree in the backyard that's been there for who knows, maybe a hundred years. And that tree doesn't require any attention from us, but the rose garden does. If we made the same assumption that because the tree is doing well, we can see it, it's green, it's thriving. And the rose garden by default should be doing the same thing. If we let that, let that rose garden alone for a month or two, I think we'd be sad when we came back and realized that there's no flowers, it's wilting, and, and probably at that point, maybe even, maybe even dying from a care perspective. Not to say that, of course, that because advisors aren't calling their clients, that this is not a life or death scenario, but it might be a, a scenario whereby it's a, it's a situation whereby advisors are in part losing some of their, the trust they've gained with their clients overall, and you know, damaging that relationship and ultimately risking that client from a, from a retention perspective currently. There's always money in motion, right? But during challenging times, there always seems to be more money in motion and that, that confidence that your client is so satisfied with you that you don't call, I think really puts advisors at risk. It absolutely does. Clients generally feeling don't feel like they're being communicated in the way that they want to be. And how an advisor communicates and how advisors continues to build, maintain, and develop that trust and that relationship directly has an impact on revenue, retention, and referrals. You know, as an investor, I may be certainly interested in markets, what's happening in, in the markets, what's happening from a commentary perspective, but sending out market commentary only is not enough. It's really about me as the investor and how does, how does the markets, how are my portfolios, how does it impact me, my goals? my life circumstance and the things that I want to achieve as an individual. You know, we talk to a lot of advisors and there's a fairly consistent theme or, or maybe worry in the marketplace about the commoditization of, of the industry. So investment management, you know, uh, modern portfolio theory, a lot of advisors use that. Planning and Monte Carlo simulation it happens almost at every advisory firm. And so there's a sense that things are sort of normalizing down to, to the margins in terms of what's of value. And if an advisor is not communicating effectively with their clients, they're really devaluing one of the most important aspects, which is their own personal value proposition. And there's a lot that's out of an advisor's control, right? You can't, can't control the markets. You can't control where the industry is moving. You can't control you know, maybe relative costs at, at the custodians. But the thing that advisors can control is how they communicate with their clients how they maintain and build that trust, and uh, ultimately the channels in which they direct that communication through as well. You know, what I'd encourage in, in advisors to sort of think about as, as a function of communication and so, sort of setting a memorable impression, positive impression within their, their clients' minds is, you know, get creative with marketing or, or, or communication and think outside the box. I think a lot of advisors uh, probably have some marketing dollars sitting in their budget still because normal sort of business development activities like golf and whatnot uh, just aren't happening right now. And so how can an advisor really utilize those monies and those funds to engage their clients in a different way and in a special way to create a memory? For example, you know, maybe an advisor could send a, a handwritten note to some of their, their highest net worth clients. With that note, there's a box. Maybe it's got face masks because we're all in the environment where if you leave your home, you've got to have a face mask on. And the note says something like, you know, I care about your health. I care about the safety of your family. Maybe that mask also has a, like a, maybe a small logo or something on it from an advisor's perspective. There's no doubt that that creates an, an opportunity and a dialogue, certainly within a household. And as I step out of my house, if I'm the advisor's investor into the world, 
and I'm meeting with maybe some friends at a respectable and responsible social distance, we now have a conversation about what's on my mask and it creates an opportunity for organic referrals. And for me to say, yeah, my advisor is amazing. He cares about me and he cares about the safety of my family. And there's proof here, right? I've got it on my face essentially. So it's, you can create branding in, in a very positive way and, and a reason for investors to talk about their advisor and how the advisor is helping them uh, on a day-to-day basis. I love that idea. And Adam, I hope you let me steal it when I'm talking to other advisors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. Hey, Adam, I really like that analogy too, especially as someone who's at home, number one, and number two does do the landscaping because I hmm. actually really enjoy it. However, I have always failed with roses. So kudos to your wife. I went out this morning, however, and was turned on the sprinkler and noticed just how many freaking weeds I had to weed out. <laughs> so I am, uh, I really appreciated the analogy that you spoke of. And as you were talking, I, re- I was thinking about a recent podcast with Dr. Newcomb from Morningstar, who also mentioned the fact that the market is not your portfolio. And that's really important mm-hmm. for advisors to keep in mind when they're talking. And so you're just kind of reiterating that. But I'd like to spend a minute and talk to you, talk about your career, which you spent a large part at Charles Schwab. And now here at Northern Trust, working on the Emotomy team, you spent a variety of relationship manager and business strategy and development roles. So you, you know the sales process that advisors have to go through. As we move faster into more of a digital world, and you know, especially these last few months with with all that we've had to uh, go through with working at home and all, what has changed the most in terms of building long lasting, even enduring relationships with clients? Thanks, David. I'm going to take a little bit of a different uh, spin on, on, I think, my answer here in the sense that I think we're in a kind of a period where it's the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Building relationships that endure is still about trust, caring, and getting to know the individual. Over the past couple months, it's certainly proven more difficult for advisors as you know advisors are, are grappling with you know the same things that their investors are right working from home managing kids homework worrying about health and safety for their own family and also then looking to serve their clients and carry that same level of care and commitment to their their practice and there's the absence also and I, I noted this a little bit earlier of the ability to build relationships can't have a lunch with your top client. You can't go golfing and have a big event, right? So it's, there's a different way to do it. But I think at the heart of the relations that, that endure, it still comes back to trust, care, empathy, and listening to your clients. And digital can certainly help bridge that gap. But I'd offer a bit of caution, which is digital makes it much easier to create volumes of information, which you know we're, we're all, I know my inbox personally and professionally is, is full of webinar invites and marketing and emails even to the extent that I think Zoom had something like 10 million daily average users in December of 2019. And now I think the number is something like 300 million plus. So we've all got some level of information, video or webinar fatigue. So it's not so much about quantity of information, but quality of information is becoming so much more important today. And the content really matters. And that individualization, which we've been talking about now, is sort of that that bridge. It's got to be about me and meaningful to me as an individual investor and not just general market criteria because anybody can pick that up anywhere they want. It's really about just what's happening with me. You know, at Emotomy, we believe that digital can strengthen advisor and client relationships. And what that really means is that there should be less or maybe a more balanced reliance on technology to automate everything. And advisors should use digital to amplify those relationships in a really meaningful way and through formats that create conversation. 
And when having those conversations with advisors, the, the advisors have to be really in tune to some of the subtleties uh, from, from a client's uh, comments or perspectives by asking the right questions and thinking about, you know, what does it really mean when an investor says, what do you think about the markets? You know, what an investor probably really means is, how do the markets affect my plans? How do the markets affect my family? Right? Am I still going to be, re- to be able to retire on track from the last time that we had our relationship review? Right? This takes a bit of finesse and a, p- a bit of genuine empathy to sort of unpack or interpret the true meaning behind a client's questions. It's so easy to get caught up in our day-to-day thinking about the markets and the, the technical yeah. aspects that it's sometimes all about the portfolio and what those life goals are for your clients. That's exactly right. It, it really goes back to telling me about the markets is important, right? I certainly want to understand what's happening, but what's more important is how does it impact me and my goals? You know, advisors through the, the digital age and as, as digital becomes uh, more prevalent and, and sort of a necessary part of an advisor's uh, processes and interactions with clients should be careful not to lose the human experience within, within the digital world. Ultimately, clients want a relationship with their advisor and not the relationship with their tech stack or their, their automated marketing digital provider. As you know, Adam, I've been conducting research for now 10 years advisor research on um, advisors' thoughts about outsourcing the investment management function. And uh, we're going to be releasing our our latest in early fall this year. But, you know, over the the past decade, it it seems as if the investment management only role for advisors is really shifting at a breakneck speed. And what I've learned uh, in conducting these advisor surveys, well, is a lot, but an important learning has been that the expectations that clients have of their advisors are often very difficult to deliver on all of those expectations, which are growing. And, you know, this is especially true if the firms are small to mid-sized and they're still managing all the investments in-house. I'm, I'm curious, you know, in your former role and your current role, what you're hearing from advisors in terms of, you know, meeting the ever-expanding expectations of their clients? Yeah, I'm probably not going to get this adage exactly right. As it relates to experience and investor or client expectations, it's a base of your last best experience is how you gauge the rest of your experiences. And so from a digital perspective or, or just a, a kind of a service experience standpoint, and we, we talked about this as well, so the commoditization of, of everything is a sense that if I have an amazing experience with my home remodeling company, they communicated really well, provided exceptional service and did high quality work, my expectation of everything else that I encounter is, is to that level, right? I've reset my bar in terms of what can be. And so from that perspective, investors are expecting a really high caliber really seamless and really quality experiences from their advisors. And the advisors that we're talking to are, are certainly really busy uh, managing all aspects of their practice. And while many are, are, are reporting that they feel that they've transitioned well to sort of a, a remote work experience, because that's generally the question is, how are you, how are you operating in you know, an environment where you're at home and you don't have an office? That report is things are going well, but it still seems that certainly in the small to mid-sized space that there is a continued challenge for advisors to manage or better manage the, the flow of information or flow of work that they have. Because on a small to mid-sized base, oftentimes these are sort of heavy labor intensive practices. And what I mean by that is 
the technology that could help or the processes that might be of value, but just haven't been adopted yet. So advisors are, are coming up to uh, points in the evolution of their business, whereby they're beginning to become bandwidth challenged. So advisors are asking for a lot of help in the, in the back office uh, from, a, from a burden perspective because they want to spend more time with clients. This environment has exposed the holes in their tech and processes in a very real way, and it's creating pain for them and also for their clients. You know, Laura, it was just a couple of weeks back where we were talking to an advisor, and this is just one example of, of a few where the advisor shared with, with us that uh, they hadn't rebalanced their, their clients' portfolios through the downturn. And it wasn't a case of that being the advisor's strategy or they had a sort of investment philosophy that stayed the course as the right plan. It was simply a perspective that they felt that they didn't have the time or tools, resources to do it and to do it effectively. So that, what does that mean for the advisor? Well, it's likely that their investors are asking questions about what's going on with my portfolio? Why didn't I do that? And at the end of the day, kind of the worst part about that is, is those investors, outcomes now from a long-term perspective right, are going to be neg negatively impacted too. So there's, there's real consequence to not being able to take action and not being able to take it effectively, both from a growth perspective for the advisor and certainly the long-term goals of the investor. The advisors that we're talking to, they want to be in growth mode, right? They want to be sort of proactive outbound, but the last few months have put a, a lot of the small to mid-sized advisors into more of a survival or reactive mode because they're worrying about how to keep the lights on when they do get back to the office, right? PPP loans, should I take a PPP loan? Shouldn't I take a PPP loan? If I do, what does it mean for my business? Do I have to, do I have to report? Do, I, do my clients lose credibility in me? How do I retain my clients through these processes? when you kind of pull that all together from an advisor's perspective in terms of you know, them managing personally a uh, difficult time, thinking about a business in a very difficult time, serving clients that have a lot of need, there's very little time for what I would say maybe true growth. And really it's about the ability to sort of survive and retain and be reactive to clients when those clients need attention and do pick up the phone and call. And those advisors that are fortunate enough to have prospecting conversations or have some lead generation happening, seem to be struggling with some of the similar demands. And so what this can create for those advisors while they're growing, if the processes aren't solid, and we talked about you know, the expectation of experience, it creates a less than ideal first impression for their clients. And so if communications are delayed and longer than expected uh, onboarding or broken onboarding processes or experiences are happening, that has a real impact, one on first impression from a client, but also the advisor's growth and revenue. I mean, if you kind of think about it in this way, if, if there's an advisor that has 30 clients and each of those clients is delayed just by one day, individually, not really a big deal, right? I mean, one day delay, what is, it's not, not huge. But this is certainly, you know, the advisor uh, industry and the financial services industry is certainly one that understands and appreciates the, the power of compounding. But if you take those 30 clients and each of those is by one day, Ultimately, what, what's happened is the advisors lost a full month of revenue for that client population. And you do that this year and next year and the year after that, that starts to add up to a lot of money over time. To that end, a lot of advisors are evaluating their technology and separating providers of technology or, or service providers that are simply providing a service from their partners. Those are providers or digital platforms that have taken the time to really understand their business and are offering a true value-add service to them and helping them grow and achieve success through this time. You know, there's certainly a lot of technology evaluation and assessment happening right now. What you just ended with, I, I thought was perfect because it's, 
the relationship aspect is a, is so important at every level of our organizations, whether it's the relationship between the advisor and their end client, the relationship between the advisor and their service partners. And, you know, it just can't be, in my mind, stressed enough that you need to pick up the phone, you need to talk to people, you need to have these relationships to have enduring success. Yeah, that's exactly right. So going back to your talk about experience expectations, you know, Amazon and Apple all set that high pretty far back. That bar is very high now for all of us. And so I totally get that. And as you work on the Northern Trust digital platform, and unfortunately, I think many advisors may still think of robo-advisor as a bit of a conflict. Mm. Yeah. While I know we are using that term less and less, can you give us a sense of, uh, tell us a little bit about how advisors are implementing digital advice platforms into their business and how they can be used to actually help with those client meetings and overall client engagement, especially when it comes to those expectations that are starting to be set? You know, it's funny. There, there certainly was at, at some point, and not too far back, we've talked about sort of the speed at which technology and digital move where there was this human versus robot fight brewing for some time, right? I, I mean, I've got images of like a, a Terminator scene running through my head to some extent, but fortunately we've, we've learned to coexist and, and have learned that technology and digital, digital application and platforms have the ability to amplify relationships. It's now less uh, really about how evil robots will be taking over the investing universe and stealing clients from advisors, uh, you know, sort of destroying advice as we know it today, and more about how digital platforms, digital investment advice, technology generally can help advisors and investors achieve greater outcomes. You know, at the end of the day, digital, digital platforms are really about, all about client engagement. It doesn't matter if a platform solves a specific back office problem or has an excellent portfolio construction engine. Most platforms are designed to help advisors better and more effectively engage their clients. And the more dynamic a platform, the better right now. Right, a static platform uh, serves a very specific purpose and specifically designed to maybe solve a problem. But a dynamic or interactive platform affords the advisor the opportunity to really engage a client in a potentially new and interesting way. You know, these sorts of platforms that are dynamic in nature are a great way right now to keep the client's interest and break away from the monotony of, of sort of the day-to-day -day noise and tech overload we, we all have. I know I cautioned earlier against too much automation, but there is a balance. A platform that helps automate sort of non-value or non-client-facing activity can be extremely beneficial. And a platform that takes non-generating revenue or activity off an advisor's plate, is that equivalent time back for the advisor to have higher value client interactions? In this case, from an automation perspective, the more the better. If you can automate and outsource a lot of that non-revenue generating, non-client-facing activity, the more you do that, the more time you have in front of clients and the ability to grow relationships and certainly the advisor has the ability to grow their business. Integrations have also become a very, uh, a more increasingly important part of a way an advisor does business in part because there are a lot of digital providers today and the ability to create a unified experience, not only for the advisor, but for the investor is really important. Advisors are keenly aware of how the investor experience can add or take away from their brand and credibility. Technology helps advisors elevate through the integration and experience in a really meaningful, meaningful way. And if there's a broken process in there, the investors certainly feel it and the advisors feel it as well from, a, from the ability to onboard, retain and grow.
you know, we have a lot of conversations with advisors about how they're growing or how they've grown their business. And one of the, the words that, that keeps coming up when we talk to advisors is about segmentation in terms of how do I, how do I serve my high net worth clients, retain their current assets, but also grow that book of business while creating an opportunity to bring in younger or maybe not yet affluent investors to help support future growth of my business as an advisor looks forward five, 10, 15 years down the road. There's an understood and potentially understated risk of not engaging you know, the children or the heirs of their high net worth clients. And digital can be the, uh, a really helpful way and platform to create scale and engage the next gen wealth while keeping the advisors focused on deepening relationships with the higher end of their business as it exists today. There's a sort of or a sense of symbiosis now between advisor, client, and digital that, that again, maybe had not existed just a couple of years back. Digital platforms help advisors scale and grow their business. And it's really about what technologies will work for me as an advisor or are right for me as an advisor is really dependent upon how I, as the advisor, want to operate and engage my clients uh, on a go-forward basis. That's great. Well, we like, always like to close these podcasts with advice for our listeners, and you have given some great advice. But there is one question that it came up early on, so I'm going to go back to it. And what advice mm -hmm. would you give to advisors that may now wish, especially after hearing this podcast, that they had handled client outreach differently earlier this year? What should they do now and what processes should they put in place in the future to ensure that they hold on to those clients? First, I'd say uh, shame on them. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Um, you know, <laughs> what I'd say is, you know, the, the markets have recovered and, and, and so can they. I think reaching out now is, seems there's nothing complicated or really sophisticated about that answer, but you know, start, start today, start now, reach out. But beyond that, there is so much more that an advisor can do. I, I'd say well, a good step is to, to take a real honest assessment. If you were to ask a room of students or maybe even let's say a room of advisors and could be 50 advisors and you ask that room of advisors, who amongst you are above average? Who amongst you know your clients better than the average advisor does? Inevitably, right through the illusory superiority effect, the, the room will raise their hand. Every advisor in the room will say, I am an above average advisor. I know my clients better than the average. Well, we know mathematically that's impossible. Advisors have to take a step back first and say, how well do I really know my clients? And this is an exercise that I used to do when I, when I led a team of financial consultants. I'd walk into my consultant's office and I'd say, hey, you know, let's talk about your top five clients. You know them really well? The advisor would say, absolutely. These are my top clients. I, I know them like I know my own family. Perfect. So let's have, let's have a conversation about it. And then you start to ask some questions, right? What is their favorite hobby? When is their anniversary? How do they like to be communicated with? And in what way and at what time of day? You know, do they have outside money? Where is it? What is the name of their best friend? What are they most worried about? Where do the kids go to school? And when do they graduate? Have you met the family? Have you met that family in person? When, if ever, if these are your best clients, have you asked them for an introduction to somebody in their circle? And how much do they know about you? Part of what's missed in the relationship conversation and about communication and building trust is the fact that advisors, the way you build trust is you, it's a two-way conversation. Relationships take two people. And so from the advisor side, you've got to let investors in as well. How much do they know about you? How much do they know about your family? How vulnerable have you been with your investors? Create that conversation, create the opportunity to have answers to those questions and even more, and you'll start to really build trust as an advisor. 
you know, Adam, we recently released some, some research and it was focused on building advisory teams and, and diverse mm-hmm. advisory teams. And one of, one of our findings was that overwhelmingly investors, and we surveyed high net worth investors, want to do business. They want an advisor who has some shared life experiences. So I just mm-hmm. want to put an exclamation point on what you said about from an advisor standpoint, sharing a bit about your personal life. Because again, going back to that building strong relationships, it's, it's so important. It's easy to say, and sometimes often hard to do because there's a lot happening, right? So we all get sort of into a process or into a routine and forget to step back and think about, certainly in the digital age, about the human element and, and what, what a relationship is and how you sort of cement that relationship and, and make sure that it's strong throughout any market environment about relationships and and how you gauge that. I'm a big fan of relationship reviews. I think they're a great way to sort of safely and maybe somewhat formally recalibrate or or, or sort of wipe the slate clean from a relationship perspective with a a client. Periods like these where things are, while the markets have improved, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. And these are great times to say, listen, you know, I know we did a relationship review in February of of this year. Lots happened since then. Let's come back and do an early review just to make sure that things are still on track and and you're feeling good. And this is an opportunity for an advisor to to really set the stage for where things have been in the past year, what they've done, where the the relationship is today, and to really set expectations and a framework for how how the relationship is going to look going forward. And so it can be a really powerful tool, not only for the investor, to understand and feel good about their situation, but also for the advisor to really get a good grasp on how well do I know the client and how strong is our relationship really, and then set proper expectations for the next three, six, nine, 12 months. And so you're on the same page and you know exactly how to communicate and what that investor wants from you. Operationally speaking, there's a number of things that an advisor can do. So we talked a little bit about the relationship review, but you you can create a, a broader framework around a combination of how to communicate, when to communicate, and who to communicate to from a standpoint of touch points in the sense of phone, email, text, Zoom, personalized notes, cadence of conversations, who wants to be communicated to uh, more frequently, et cetera. So there's a lot of opportunity there within within how to create a framework and sort of create baseline segmentation for your practice to make sure that you are engaging clients in the way that they want to be engaged. I'd say also you have a sort of a business continuity plan of sorts. Up markets and down markets require a different set of rules. So have a playbook for both. In a a period where markets are moving up, economy is strong, things are great, clients likely don't require that much attention, right? Because it's smooth sailing for everybody. But as soon as the volatility hits back in the market, the rules have changed. The game is now different. Be ready for both scenarios and have, you know, be able to pull it off the shelf and go versus being on your heels a bit and not being able to really respond in an effective way to the market environment and things that we kind of talked about already that, that an advisor just can't control. And I'd say we talked about this as well, but from a, from a communication perspective, quality is important. Differentiate with every conversation and add value with every touch. It's not just about checking in or touching base, but it's really about asking the right questions, adding value in every conversation and make sure an advisor is taking it from the perspective of the client. Right? If I were the client, what would I need right now? I know this client really well. I'm sure they're nervous about the markets. What are the things that I can provide to them to help settle them and make sure that they know they're still on track and they're going to be okay? And that goes just to make sure you understand the goals of the clients, help them see the future, 
If you can tie your clients, happy, fulfilled future selves to you as the advisor, you're in an amazing spot because they see you as part of that plan. They see you along with them and helping to get them from point A to point B in a successful, meaningful way. And that's, that's powerful. That's, that's, a, that's a great, great spot to be in as an advisor. And finally, if advisors that are doing all this right, advisors that have built relationships, managing the portfolios in the right way, clients have trust. Once an advisor has done all this well, they should not forget to ask for the referral. If the client is very happy with you, very satisfied with you as the advisor, take the leap. Who else do you know that might be able to help? Hey, you've talked about your best friend, Joe, for the last five years. I've never met Joe. So let's do a virtual happy hour. I'll send the bottle. All right, so those sorts of things uh, can go a long way in, in driving growth and forming really solid relationships. At the end of the day, most, most advisors are in the business because they are passionate about helping people and truly care about the success of their clients. We've talked a lot about sort of missteps in communication or what could be done better, but I don't believe that that's purposeful. It's, it's simply a function of time. Advisors should prioritize things that are most important to their clients and outsource everything else that they can to trusted partners that will strengthen their ability to meaningfully connect. The advisor should find their unique groove and double down on the partnerships and technologies that support who they are and what they are trying to achieve. Ultimately, it's what the advisor brings to the table, or in this case, the virtual meeting, digital interaction, that will make all the difference to their clients. Well, Adam, great words and great discussion today. Thanks again for joining us and for sharing your on-the-ground perspective. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciated my time today, and I hope to be back. That's great. Thank you, Adam. And if you would like to learn more about the digital advice platform Emotomy, just go to emotomy.com, emotomy.com. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.